Our second scripture lesson from Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. Paul writes, now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Pauline was 101 years old, and it was her birthday. And in the nursing home, there was a big party in the activity room. All of her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren were there, and she was like a queen, enjoying her day. Though frail in body, Pauline had a quick mind, and she loved nothing more than spending time with her family and enjoying her day. When the party was over... Her oldest grandson, my husband Al, and I were elected to take her back to her room. And she was way too excited to rest. She asked us to stay for a while. And we did. We sat to visit. And this precious, sweet, 90-year-old little lady was just bubbling with joy and love. And then, and then a man wandered into her room. He just wandered in. And this sweet little lady looked up at him and said, Howard, this is not your room. I have guests. Go back to your room. And he, he shook his head and, and he left. And then Pauline leaned in to Alan and I and she said, that Howard, you know, he's not quite right. <laughs> it's really sad, bless his heart. And then she got a twinkle in her eye and she said, you know, there really should be a place for people like that. <laughs> and it took everything we had for Al and I not to say, Grandma, this is the place. <laughs> there is something amazingly human about this story, though, right? Where Al and I saw Howard and Pauline, two people who needed 24-hour care, who couldn't feed themselves, clothe themselves, or monitor their medications. Two people both in need of skilled nursing care. Pauline saw a major distinction between herself and Howard. Isn't that just like us? At 8 or 18, at 32 or 64, even at 101, we excel at dividing people into groups, don't we? Looking down upon others, building ourselves up, by thinking poorly of those different from us. Am I right? And it's everywhere. It's everywhere around us. It's in our schools where young people get harassed and bullied because their young classmates will single 
those who are different out, will divide people into groups, will tear one another down. In the workplace, on boards and committees in our community, this plays out over and over again in nauseating fashion. And in our politics, do you want me to talk about politics this morning? No. <laughs> the way we so easily separate ourselves into us and them, the way we can't seem to work together on anything for the common good, anything at all, it's enough to make me want to turn off my cable news channel. How about you? Some of you don't know that in the year 2000, about 18 years ago, I left pastoral ministry for a season. Al had accepted a call as pastor of a large church on the East Coast, and I became a college professor in a small liberal arts college. I taught four or five courses a semester, but as is so often the case in small colleges, I also held an administrative position at the college. I loved working with the students. I adored teaching. But the politics, the fractiousness, the pettiness, the human drama of dealing with faculty and staff, parents and trustees as an administrator, it wore on me as the years went by. And then a funny thing happened. I began to long for pastoral ministry again. <laughs> I dreamed of spending myself and my gifts on an institution where politics and fractiousness and division and pettiness and human drama wouldn't waste away my time and energy. The church, I thought. That's where I need to be, the church where divisions and pettiness and human drama never happen. Some of you see the humor in that, don't you? Obviously, my time at the college kind of softened my memory about the church, didn't it? But you can't blame me. And we can't blame one another for wanting the church to be different, right? Wanting the church to be a place where unity and peace prevail. And how disappointing and how tragically difficult and how harmful when it's not. That's why we need scripture because scripture suggests that the church has always, always struggled with this human propensity for division and strife. The Apostle Paul, for instance, fought his entire life, his whole life for the unity of the church. He fought the human divisions and distinctions that he knew would weaken the church's message. In Paul's letter, this topic arises again and again and again. And it's because as the early church grew and as new different kinds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ, the tension grew as well. For Torah-observant Jews who believed Jesus to be the Messiah, it was all a bit much. I mean, pagans and Greeks and Gentiles, slaves and wealthy merchants all gathered in one place to learn about and worship Jesus, all of them professing the death and resurrection of God's Son. Clearly, there were those who believed this to be blasphemy, or at the very least, it was disorderly. Let them be circumcised. Let them learn Torah. Let them keep Torah. Then they can be full members of the body of Christ. Then they might be judged good enough, holy enough to be God's people. 
Well, the Apostle Paul's response is swift, it's cutting, it's concise. He writes, before faith came, you were imprisoned and guarded under the law. The law was our disciplinarian, but now that faith has come, you're no longer subject to that disciplinarian. For in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. If you were baptized in Christ, you've clothed yourself in Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. All of you, children of God, no matter your background, all of you baptized into Christ, therefore the previous distinctions the human distinctions that you cling to so tightly, they no longer matter. Specifically, Paul argued that those who cherished and held fast to Torah as the precious lifeline to God couldn't expect everyone else to feel the same way, to treasure and keep Torah as they did. Instead, Paul pushes the Christians of the Galatian churches to cling to something else, something more substantial, more foundational, Jesus Christ. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, oh, yes, I have heard of this first century problem, right? Yes, Paul really did have to fight hard to unite those Jewish and Gentile Christians way back then. This is a pleasant historical sermon. Is that what you're thinking? Watch out. Watch out, because Paul's message speaks to the church. It speaks to you and me with the same clarity and conciseness today. Paul's Galatian message sounds a challenge today as it did 2,000 years ago, and Paul has much to teach us. Paul's first lesson is this. Human distinctions have no place in the body of Christ. Human distinctions have no place in the body of Christ. That great passage that you heard Bill read just a few minutes ago from the second chapter of James says it very succinctly, showing favoritism in the church dishonors Christ. Plain and simple. In particular, James's concern was the distinction being shown to wealthy people. He says, between, by making these distinctions between the poor and the rich, aren't you becoming judges with evil thoughts. Human distinctions have no place in the body of Christ. Language differences, cultural differences, socioeconomic differences, worship style differences, age and religious upbringing, all these things must be put aside. They pale in comparison to the one thing we do have in common, thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. Paul says our baptism in Christ makes us equal, makes us equal. Imagine it, the one-year-old baby just baptized a few weeks ago and the prison inmate, the 80-year-old saintly preacher and the 25-year-old young adult, all baptisms equally claimed, equally loved, and equally challenged to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. No human distinction matters as much as claiming our baptism, clothing ourselves in Christ's love and mercy. But that's just the beginning. 
Paul actually goes further. He claims that when our preferences, our agendas other than Christ are advanced in the church, human sin enters our life together. So my wants, my likes, my tastes, my understandings, your wants, your likes, your tastes, your understandings, the viewpoints from the left, the viewpoints from the right, all of it must be tested and placed second to the overall advancement of the gospel. Period. Here's a newsflash. We won't always agree on things within the church, my friends. Does that surprise you? That's as true today as it was in the earliest church. And when we don't agree, how do we keep from sinning? How do we keep different preferences for, oh, let's say, worship music from slipping into judgmental and pejorative speech and action? How do we keep varying priorities concerning mission outreach or budget expenditures from dividing us and pitting us against one another? How do we move forward as a congregation and as a denomination even when we have different ideas about our past and different visions for our future? Well, friends, there is only one way, and that is to focus on Christ, to focus on Christ's call, to focus on Christ's mission. That's what the Apostle Paul begged of the Galatian Christians, and that is Paul's call to us this morning. In the end... Things like worship style, ministry practices, and doctrine will never unite us. Shall I say that again? Things like worship styles, ministry practices, and doctrine will never unite us. No, what unites us is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, who in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John prayed, actually begged in prayer, God saying, God, I ask not only on behalf of these my disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, we must be to the eyes of the world without division. We must be united. And it's not just because it would make our lives easier and more pleasant, though it would. <laughs> no, we must because the world might then be transformed by the love and the mercy of Christ. And how will the world know the love and mercy of Christ if we look just like every other fractious divided lot of human beings. We were meant for more than that. The church is meant for more than that. So I have good news and I have bad news. You want the good news first? Here's the good news. Good. Growing churches, transforming churches, always struggle with unity. The side effect of growth is the inclusion of new people, new ideas, new energy, new ways of thinking about, experiencing, and sharing the gospel. The good news for us here at WHPC is that new things are happening. New leadership is on the way. 
And God has granted us diverse ways of looking at things and accomplishing things. I can tell you that as your pastor. God has granted us diverse ways of looking at things and accomplishing things. The good news is that we are on an exciting journey together. We are in this together. Those of you who remember this church in another building and remember other pastors, and those of you who've been here for a short time and know only this, those of you who are lifelong Presbyterians and those of you who are new to the denomination, those of you who are 80, those of you who are 18, those of you who would prefer to worship by lifting your hands and clapping and watching video, and those of you who would prefer to worship in quiet or with the sound of an organ, the good news is that we are all in this together and that the Christ we cling to is the Christ that can break down any any barrier that could hurt or divide us. Now for the bad news. We are all in this together. <laughs> we do not have the luxury, we do not have the right to cordon off, to truncate, or to section off or devalue others in the body of Christ. And we must be mature enough to recognize that the differences we find in the body of Christ don't automatically devalue us. For in Christ you are all children of God through faith, Paul writes. As many of you as are baptized, you have clothed yourself in Christ. And there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God for this amazing, unsettling, <laughs> and challenging gift. A gift for each of us, to be sure, but more importantly, a gift for the world. A world desperate for a way to overcome division and strife. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift that you give us, uniting us in your son, Jesus Christ. We live in such a fractured, divided world, oh God. And the message of your love and mercy that unites us is needed in the world around us. So speak into our lives, speak into this church. Bind us together with such unity and love that those who watch, that those who see, that those who come alongside us won't help but join in. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>